from Matthew 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus is written by the prophet Micah, You, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for you, out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring him back word to me, and I will go and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So we have the story of the wise men, and generally they're predicted or depicted as three, but the Bible doesn't say how many there were. It could have been a huge entourage. Mary could have had a, a lot of people for supper that night. Uh, we really don't know, but it was most likely a very large caravan. Uh, and they, it's three because they gave three gifts, and that's usually how they're depicted. But we have these, this story here in this chapter 2 of Matthew, and these guys come out of nowhere, and they disappear into nowhere. We're not told who they are or where they're from, but they've got a prophecy and a star and a dream. And somehow they've seen a new star in the sky from India or China or wherever they were from. And they come from the east and they travel west into what is today Israel across the desert of what is now Iran and Iraq. And they, they arrive and, and they say, where's the new king that was born? We saw a new star. That is never explained in anywhere in scripture. Is How did they know? what the star was, how did they know that it meant a new king was born, how did they know that that was the king of the Jews, and that's, we're never told. And uh, what was this star, and where did they get their information, and, and it's all unexplained. It's just dropped as the word of God, and then left. And over time, if you've been a Christian for very long, I suppose you've heard sermons or read articles about what that star was. It was this comet, or it was this supernova, or it was this binary star, and people kind of trying to come up with all these explanations and of dates and astronomy and all this stuff that happened, and there was this event and this day, and so that's when Jesus was born. And I'm here to tell you that I'm not here to tell you that that <laughs> explain that the star was a comet. Because comets don't appear and then travel in one direction and stop and shine a light on a house. Come on. It says they follow the star to the house. And when they saw the star on the house, they greatly rejoiced. It says they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. 2016 language, they flipped out. Okay, They went berserk with happiness because they're... It had worked. <laughs> they followed this thing, and it actually worked. Okay, so I, I am here to talk about the star this morning, and I'm here to tell you it's not a comet. It's not some supernova uh, it, because it wasn't a natural phenomena. 
So we're going to do something completely different than I've ever done before uh, on a Sunday morning anyway. If you were here maybe seven years ago on a Wednesday night, I talked about this. What was the star of Bethlehem and, and what does the Bible say about it? And, and so this is not what I normally speak on or even how I normally approach a topic. We're just going to have fun this morning and I hope to blow your minds wide open because we are stuck in a western scientific mindset that thinks we understand everything in terms of biology and physics and chemistry and I'm here to tell you that most of what we think is true in what we call science is as crazy as what they thought in the middle ages and it is so wrong and even the part that is complete is not I mean even the part that is true is not complete and that there is a mystic worldview that is full of power and beauty and truth. And that in the mystery of God's creation, there is power and truth that science, the Western materialist science, will never touch. And it's no less true. It's not symbolic. It's not metaphorical. It's real. But it isn't what we would call biology or chemistry or physics. It's mystery. So, let's look at what the Bible says about stars. And let's start with Psalm 147.4. Psalm 147.4 says that God knows how many stars there are, and he has a name for every single one of them. That's a lot of names. I was looking at a video just this week before Christmas of Andromeda, which is the next door neighbor of the Milky Way. We live in the Milky Way galaxy, and Andromeda is the next one over. They're still millions of light years apart, but it's our next door neighbor. And in Andromeda, they took a, the Hubble telescope, and they took a photo of it. That it's, the, the article I read said it would take 67 HD televisions to produce the, the picture. It's, it's 43 gigabytes, the photo. I mean, your, your little photo takes, maybe if you put it on high resolution, it's like one megabyte photos. This is a, like a 43 gigabyte photo. So of, the, of Andromeda, which is our next door neighbor galaxy, there's 100 billion stars in Andromeda alone. And it's one of who knows how many millions of galaxies out there. And so just in the next door neighbor galaxy, which is we can see because we can't, we can't see our own. You can see the Milky Way with the naked eye, but it's just like one of the arms of our, we can't take a picture of our own, but we can take a picture of the next door neighbor. A hundred billion stars, which is an unimaginable number, still doesn't even touch our national debt. <laughs> Seriously, 14 trillion or something. A hundred billion stars just in that one galaxy. And, and Psalm 147, 4 says God has named every single one of them. And he knows them individually. He's counted them and he knows them individually. It's pretty amazing. Okay, next is from Psalm, I'm sorry, Job 37, 38. This is from God's rebuke of Job at the end of the book where he says, well, Job, when Job's complaining about what God has done and God shows up and says, well, Job, where were you when I made the earth and the seas and Leviathan? And, and in the middle of this, God questioning Job, he says, where were you when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? So Job 38.7 says the stars sing, 
and it calls them sons of God. I have a whole lesson I've done before on Jewish poetry, and they didn't use rhyme and meter. They used, they used equals and opposites, and you see that in Proverbs. But this line of poetry here is equating the, the stars and the sons of God. Well, in Job, the only other time this phrase sons of God is used is for the angels. Uh, when, the, when the sons of God appeared before God, Satan was with them, and that's when he brings his accusation against Job. Here, in Job 38, 7, God tells us the stars sing to him, and he calls them the sons of God. In Judges 5, which is the story of a battle that Israel won, this is the song of Deborah, Deborah and Barak are fighting against Sisera, who is the Assyrian king, and he runs, he escapes from the battle, and he takes refuge in an Israelite woman's tent, and he asks her for a drink of water, and instead she brings him warm milk, and he's resting from his run, and he gets sleepy, and he falls asleep, and she nails his head to the ground with a tent peg. That's my kid's favorite bedtime Bible story when they were real little. Tell us about J.L. nailing the guy's head to the ground, Dad. Yeah. So she, she kills the enemy king, and this, is the call, this chapter is called The Song of Deborah, and they're praising God for the victory, and they're, they're actually singing some, some to J.L., who's the victor woman in the battle. And so Deborah and Barak are the judges, though, that won this battle. And in this, in this song of Deborah, here's this line. They fought from the heavens, the stars in their courses or orbits. The stars in their orbits fought against Sisera. Now, some of you are going to be tempted to think, okay, yeah, sure, that's the ancient world, and they have these mystical understandings and mythologies. And stuff. This is the word of God. God says the stars in their orbits fought for Israel in the battle. Hmm. I'm really just playing with you here. I love it. It's so much fun. Psalm 148 says, praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you stars of light. Praise him, you heavens of heavens. There the verse says that the stars and the sun and the moon praise the Lord. In fact, they're commanded to praise the Lord along with the angels. And we get this word, hosts, which means a large, innumerable, uncountable army. It's used all through the Old Testament, the word hosts is this uncountable army that God has. In fact, the name, the Lord of hosts, is the most used name for God in the Old Testament. 257 times he's called the Lord of hosts. And it, it's his huge, uncountable army. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, his army, his uncountably large army. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you stars of light. In Psalm 33, verse 6, it appears, this word host appears again. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Well, what is in heaven that is uncountable? Stars. Right? Yeah. Check out this next verse from Deuteronomy 4.19. You see this word host again regarding the stars. Take heed... Lest you lift your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the host of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. About 15 times in the Old Testament, God gives the command, do not worship the sun, the moon, and the stars. 
zodiac astrology stuff that the idolatrous Canaanite worshipers would would live by the stars or worship the sun and the moon and the stars and God says absolutely unequivocally do not have anything to do with that but here's this phrase regarding the stars he calls them the hosts of heaven the uncountably large army of heaven is the stars hmm in first kings 22, the prophet Micaiah says, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. Well, that doesn't sound like stars. What's that sound like? That sounds like the angels. The hosts of heaven. And what you will find is that in the Old Testament, this phrase, host of heaven, is there 40 or 50 times. And it is used completely interchangeably for stars and angels. It is the army of heaven, the Lord of hosts. The Lord is his name. We, in the Old Testament, you get this phrase, the host of heaven. Don't worship the hosts of heaven, the sun and moon and stars. But then the God, God is the God of the angel armies, the Lord of hosts. His hosts are standing at his right and his left. So interchangeably, we get this phrase, stars and angels. Stars and angels this are both the hosts of heaven. And then we get to the New Testament. And in Luke 2, he says this at the birth of Jesus. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Luke uses this word that means stars in the Old Testament. For the angels that appeared to the shepherds the night Jesus was born. A whole bunch of you are looking at me sideways. Mitch, what are you saying? I think you see what I'm saying. Well, you can't really mean that. Yeah, I do. For sure. All right, Mitch, I need more scripture. Okay, here you go. I happen to have some. Ephesians 6. Very fam, uh, familiar passage of, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, spiritual warfare passage that gets used. It's actually not, but here we go. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The word that means stars in the Old Testament, he's obviously not talking about we're battling against dark stars. Hello. He's saying we're battling against principalities and evil spirits in the heavens. Hmm. Well, I have more. Hebrews 12, 22. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable hosts of angels. There's that word host regarding angels. In the New Testament, again, a word that in the Old Testament was used 40 or 50 times about the stars, our God's army. Hmm. I told you I'm here to blow your mind open. I'm here to have a little fun this morning. I know this isn't any um, salvation-defining truth of Scripture, but my purpose here is to give you a mystic mindset rather than one that is just limited to what 
the Western world would call science. Because we think we have everything figured out, and we understand biology and chemistry and physics, but you parents, you know that the conception and birth of a child is not a biological accident. There is power, there is magic, there is mystery, there is life in it. And when we think that we have everything figured out by the laws of physics and the rules of biology and geology and astronomy and all this, it takes all the power out of everything. Now a rainbow is just the prism of light passing through a rain shower instead of a sign from God. Am I saying that a rainbow isn't the prism of light passing through a rain shower? No, we all know it is. But I'm telling you, the pride of scientific knowledge equals death. And understanding that, that science, even where it's correct, which is hardly ever, I'm serious about that. I'm so serious about that. I love astronomy. I totally love it. But geology and the age of the earth and all these things that pass for fact are totally bogus. Even where science is correct and true and right, it is still the very basic, most basic level of knowledge. And there is spiritual truth and reality that is much higher and more powerful and important than an understanding of the laws of gravity and chemistry. God says that he lives in the realm that is not seen. Come on. So I'm not here to tell you that the stars aren't big balls of fire out there burning in space. I understand that they are, even though that's only a theory because we can't go there and see that. I understand that they are, but I am here to tell you that they are the angels because the Bible says so. And that there is a mystery about that that we, and a power and a beauty in that that we lose in a concrete, materialistic science approach to life that limits everything to gravity and chemistry. I'm not speaking metaphorically or symbolically. The stars are the angels. I have more scripture. I have it right out of the mouth of Jesus. And here we go. Jesus was prophesied in Malachi 4.2. And we have this phrase, the son of righteousness. It's even in one of the Christmas carols. And we were singing at Christmas Eve service at the Presbyterian Church. And while we're singing, Sarah points at the hymnal, and she, she, the, it's, it's S-U-N of righteousness. And Sarah says, is that a misprint? I said, no, that's the scripture. Well, here's the verse. Malachi 4.2, speaking of Jesus. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. S-U-N, not S-O-N. Hmm, what are you saying, Mitch? Well, I'm not saying that I get down on my knees and worship the sun because I think that's Jesus up there burning in the sky. But there is some sort of a connection between the sun and Jesus. Need more proof? Here it is. From 2 Peter 1.19, Peter says, We have the prophetic word confirmed that you would do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What is the morning star rising in our hearts? That is a really strange verse with some weird words 
that don't make a whole lot of sense. It sounds like he's probably talking about Jesus in our hearts, but what is the morning star talking about? Well, Jesus answers that in Revelation. He says, I am the morning star. Revelation 22, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Jesus says, I am the morning star. What's the morning star? It's the big ball of fire that comes up every morning. This is not difficult. Come on. In Revelation, we're told that the new earth and the new heaven won't have a sun because there's Jesus there. The brightness of his glory is so powerful that he darkens the sun. But there's some sort of connection in Malachi and in Revelation. Jesus says, I am the morning star. I don't pretend to understand what that means, but there's a, there's a connection between Jesus and the sun. I don't know what that means. But I'm telling you these things are scriptural, and it's mystery, and it's very beautiful and powerful that there is a connection between the spirit world and the physical world that we don't yet even have a beginning of a grasp on. In Jude 6, there's another connection between stars and spirits. Jude 6 and 12 and 13 says, The angels who did not keep their proper place, those will be speaking of the fallen angels that rebelled in heaven and fought with Lucifer, and Jesus said, I saw Lucifer get cast out of heaven like lightning. And a third of the angels went with him. It says, the angels do not keep their proper place, but left their own abode. He has reserved, that's God, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. These are wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So there it is again, just that connection of the words, uh, speaking of fallen angels and connecting angels or spirits, the stars with the spirit world. I guess is how I want to say it. In Jude, in Matthew and Mark 13, Jesus says it, speaking of the tribulation, he says in those days after the tribulation, the stars will be falling from the sky, the heavenly powers will be shaken. He's not saying two separate things there, he's saying the same thing two different ways. The stars will fall from the sky, the heavenly powers will be shaken the principalities and spiritual hosts of wickedness that Ephesians 6 said. Jesus said, the stars will fall from the sky, the heavenly powers will be shaken. But here it is in Revelation 1.20, right out of the mouth of Jesus. Jesus is speaking. He says, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. There we go. We can pack up and go home. <laughs> Jesus said, stars are angels. Jesus said, the stars are the angels. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Now more of you are smiling because I proved to you that Jesus said this and not just Mitch. (laughs) All right, let's go on to Revelation 9. This is the fifth trumpet of Revelation 9. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star fall from heaven to the earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. The star is a hymn. Come on, God knows each one of them by name. The star is a hymn, not an it. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So 
here in Revelation 9, we've got this star that is called a hymn. Nothing else is said about it. It's just the star has a, the star is a person or a being of some sort. How many of you in your Christian walk, however long that is, how many of you have heard the story that, that Lucifer used to be an angel and Jesus said he cast out of heaven and he took a third of the angels with him? How many of you have heard that? That a third of the angels went with the devil when he got cast out of heaven. Do you know that's not anywhere in the Bible? That is not in Scripture. It is true, but it doesn't say angels. It says stars. And here it is from Revelation 12. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and seven crowns. And his tail drew a third of the stars out of heaven and threw them to the earth. That is the only verse in the entire Bible of anything about a third of the angels going with the devil. So I'm telling you that to tell you that I am not presenting anything new heresy here. That this is the traditional understanding that, that Bible scholars and Christianity has had is that the stars are the angels. But we've lost it in our modern scientific mindset. But this has been the interpretation of that for 2,000 years. Is that this scripture means that a third of the angels went with Satan when Jesus saw him cast out of heaven down to the earth. But it doesn't say that. It says stars. Mitch, are you, are you serious? Do you really believe the stars I look at and see every night, those are the angels? Absolutely. Yes, I do. I don't think there are humanoid creatures out there um, just floating in outer space, shining their light on us. I realize they're big balls of fire, like the sun. I, I realize that. But 1 Corinthians 15 says that everything has a physical body, and a spiritual body. And Paul is using this passage to describe the resurrection. He says, we have this earthly body and we will have a spiritual body or a heavenly body. He says, every spirit has an earthly body. In this passage, in, uh, it's 1 Corinthians 15, like 50 through 60 or something. And he says, every, there is an earthly body and there is a celestial body. Spirits are not just spirits. Our spirit lives in our body. There's a connection to the physical world that our spirit has. Demons seem to have lost that to the point that they want a body, and pigs are been, are more better than it, than in nothing. You know what I'm talking about? That story. Like we'd rather be in a pig than not have a body of any sort. Angels have a physical body. It's the star. Every individual star that God named. And he knows personally. And they sing his praises from their orbits. They are his army and they fight on our behalf. I told you I'm just here to blow your mind this morning. I know there's not any personal application to this. But the Bible says, Jesus says twice, that the stars are angels. And the angels are the stars. And no way do I mean anything astrological or zodiac. Nothing. But I'm saying there's more to life than just Western science. I'm not talking symbolically or metaphorically. I mean that every star is alive and has a personality and is a being. And that those appearances of angels in the scriptures and those of you who have that gift of discerning of spirits and you have seen angels come and go or whatever, you're seeing the spirit, but there's a physical body somewhere. There they are. 
however millions of light years away they are. But they sing and they war on God's behalf and our behalf. As we see them, they're each individual, named by God. They're the physical bodies of a spiritual being that the Bible calls angels. The Lord of hosts is God's most used name in the Old Testament, and those hosts are completely interchangeable, angels and stars, angels and stars, all through the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, Jesus tells us the stars are the angels. So the star of Bethlehem was a spiritual guide, a messenger, which is what the word angel means, is messenger, is a messenger sent to guide the Magi to the Messiah. But there was something very different and unique and individual about the star of Bethlehem because they knew this is not just a new star we saw in the sky. They knew that this was a sign. I don't know that they knew the Old Testament scriptures, but if they did, the Old Testament is full of verses where God says, I will write my signs in the heavens. When God does something, he writes a billboard in outer space for us to find. I don't know that they knew those scriptures, but somehow... They knew that this was something very individual and unique. So I believe, I just, this is me, but I think the star of Bethlehem was the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit was given in a new way at the birth of Jesus that he had not been given in the Old Testament. And his job, the Holy Spirit's job, is to lead people to Jesus. Come on. He is light and truth and revelation. And still with, just like he did in the wilderness as the pillar of fire, the Shekinah glory that, that led the children of Israel through the wilderness and sheltered them in the night of the day, he was guiding the Magi to the Savior King, and that is still what he does today. He shines the light of truth, and he guides those who are willing to follow, and he stops over Jesus, and he says, this is it right here, bow down and worship. Open the treasures of your heart and make him king. And he brings exceedingly great joy in Bethlehem and in the upper room. Come on. I think that the star of Bethlehem is a physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit, just like the the pillar of fire in the wilderness and just like the tongues of fire at Pentecost. It's the Holy Spirit guiding anyone who is wise (laughs) to come and find Jesus. Follow me. Don't depend just on what you think is what you think you know and what is scientific fact, but follow mystery. Follow a star. <laughs> and I will guide you. Not by your knowledge, but by your faith. If you will go where I go, I will lead you to Jesus. So does it matter if you agree with me, if I've convinced you that the stars are the angels? No, it's not a salvation doctrine. It doesn't really matter at all. Uh, It's just fun. It's really cool to think about because I love astronomy. I I, I love the pictures and the videos and and looking at the numbers and the the stars. and uh, There's so many amazingly beautiful, awesome stuff out there that the Hubble telescope has found. And I'm fascinated by this and you've been around for 15 years you've you've heard me talk about this at other points but I love it it's exciting it's cool but if I have a if I have a reason for doing this this morning other than just to have fun with those of you who are here over Christmas break uh, and to be lighthearted and cool and just to just to give you some something to blow your mind with to let you think on it 
I, what I am serious about, though, is that our Western world's philosophy that everything is material and concrete and sciency is idolatry. And there, it's not, I'm not saying it's not true. I'm saying it will not lead us to God. And that there is, there is mystic revelation. There are greater things going on in the world and in the universe than what science can understand or explain. And that there are mystic events and connections and realities that are much higher and more important than anything physics or chemistry or biology is going to teach us. And it's in the Word of God. And it's real. It isn't myth. It isn't symbolism. It's real. So if I have a strategy this morning, it's to try to crack through that Western European science mindset and give you a mystic worldview of something that maybe you thought you understood but let you know that God says something completely different than what the university professors say. And that maybe we need this to see the stars instead of a telescope. God, our God, Jesus' Father, is the Lord of hosts. The uncountable angel army who fights on behalf of God's children. You look up in the sky at night, the next time it's clear, which won't be tonight, and just let it sink in. That is God's army. I cannot be defeated. I cannot lose. I can quit, but I can't lose. Because that's my Father's army. He is the Lord of hosts who fights on my behalf. And if I will just keep going in faith, He's big. He's really, really big. And I can't lose. Amen. Lord, we love you. We bless you. It's so fun to look into your word and see new things. Lord, thank you for your revelation. Thank you for truth. We thank you for the guidance of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading us to Jesus. Like the wise men 2,000 years ago, Lord, we bow our knee, we open our heart, and we give you our treasures. We make you king. We love you, we bless you, we praise you, we thank you for this season, for what happened last week, and for the new year that's coming this week, Lord. We pray your blessing, your grace and peace over us as we enter this new year. Thank you for your truth, your joy, and your peace. In Jesus' name.